Hi, this is Helen, and thank you for joining me for a cup of teal. Teal is shorthand for the future of work. It means bringing your whole self to work, a focus on purpose and self-management. And this podcast is a chat over a cup of tea with the people who are making this happen in health, care and public services. Stories of self-management in action. This is my third and final podcast with Adele talking about Cornerstone at the end of the second year and the publication of the University Evaluation. As you'll know by now, Adele is now the CEO of Mencap. In this podcast, she says highlights from the evaluation report and what they'll be focusing on in the third and now fourth years of implementation. As ever, it's inspiring to hear the clarity and determination that she talks about self-management. And she explains how in six months it will be mandatory in Cornerstone for people to work this way. She talks about why they've introduced mentors and our shared view that radical provision like this requires radical commissioning. I hope you have a cup of tea ready to listen to my final podcast about Cornerstone with Adele. I'm delighted to be back with Adele. We're both in Stockholm today. We've been presenting at an event with colleagues who are exploring the integration of health and care and self-management. So Adele, I was so excited to see your second year report. Please share with us some of the highlights of where you are now. I was very pleased to see the uh, publication of the Year 2 report uh, as well. Um, It demonstrates how far as an organisation we have come. It doesn't shy away from the challenges that we have Mm -hmm. faced and we continue to face, but it is also full of rich uh, data and stories about the positive difference that Local Cornerstone is making to our colleagues who uh, are working in critical um, social care roles in the communities, but more importantly, the difference this way of working is having on the lives of the people we support. Some of the highlights, I guess, are uh, around the feedback that we get from the team members. Every one of the team members that was interviewed as part of the evaluation said categorically they would never go back to the old way of working. Fantastic. And that doesn't mean, again, that this new way of working doesn't present them with challenges, um, but they're absolutely adamant that they um, want to uh, remain working in a, in a self-managed team and all the benefits it brings to them individually, collectively, and as I said earlier, to the people they support. There's some interesting data around when you compare the local care and support teams with our traditional ways of working. We see uh, reduced spend on recruitment, um, less staff turnover, improved lost time rate. So a lot of things we imagined and hoped would happen are coming true. Still some challenges around um, ensuring we maintain the quality of our service provision. My view on that is that's more to do with the fact that we've been through this period of change Mm -hmm. and instability and that has undoubtedly had an impact. But overall, I think the message that's coming through is stick with it. you know, cope with the challenges that come your way, it is absolutely, absolutely worth doing. And how many teams have you got now? Um, We have about 82, 83 teams now, which is amazing. I think the last time we spoke, 
we had it's about 12, 12 yeah, that's right yeah, great and um I think one of the best things about that isn't just the number and the percentage of our workforce that are now engaged in working in a local care and support team. It's also that it's not myself or my senior colleagues that have to convince anyone to give it a go anymore. The richness of the stories and the experience that are being passed from team to team, from community to community, um, is what's built the momentum and we actually have to slow down the pace because we can't cope with the demand for the training and for the coaching. So we're slowing down a wee bit. But um, every time I look at the spreadsheet, another five, ten teams have popped up. So it's really great to see because it gives me the reassurance that this indeed you know, was the way to go. And um, I'm not having to convince people anymore. It's happening naturally. Thank you. And when we first spoke, you thought you'd get to a point where all the early adopters and the innovators would have joined the team, but eventually there might be some people who still weren't sure. Originally, it was a three-year plan, wasn't it? Are you still on track for three years? And what's going to happen towards the end? Um, No, our board agreed in the summer when we um, presented the first draft of the year two evaluation um, that we should extend the period of the strategy by a year. So we have shifted our targets actually from number of teams partly because some teams were much smaller than we'd imagined and although we could very confidently say we hit our targets in terms of numbers of teams we didn't have the percentage of the workforce engaged in a way that we had hoped so um, we have extended the period for a year but you know I'm less worried about hitting targets I would rather do this well Mm -hmm. and carefully and properly obviously if it takes 10 years one could argue that therefore maybe it's not working but if it's three four or five years I'm I'm not concerned about the length of time I think the important thing is that we we do it well and and we prove we prove the concept other thing that's related to that is that we have formal um, test sites now within the organization because what we found in the early days was that we had a lot of housing support teams were our, our pioneers mm-hmm. and that uh, there's so much rich learning in how do you apply the model to community support and to more complex services. So we have now identified 11 teams that are representative of the wide range of services that we provide and we are monitoring them really closely. Once we get to six months and we can prove that the model works across all types of services, then it will be mandatory to work in this way. That doesn't mean that there'll be a hard and fast tomorrow, Mm -hmm. but we will prove the concept and anybody who's still not on board, and there's hardly anybody actually now, will need to get on board or they'll need to think about how they want their their career to to be and what type of organisation they want to work in. Thank you. And in your presentation earlier, you talked about, well, your recommendation to colleagues here in Stockholm was to stay really, really tight with the principles, stay on track with the principles, but recognise that your strategy might need to change as you learn. What surprised you about the changes that you've had to explore over the last year or two? I think the main one for me personally has been the introduction of mentors, because initially um, when colleagues in communities were suggesting to us as a leadership team and me in particular that there was something missing in the model so we'd gone from nine layers of management to a completely flat structure and in the teams where we had former team leaders those teams were flying 
in the teams that were either created newly from scratch or um, didn't have a team leader in them, then we discovered that colleagues didn't know what they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And that was more to do with practical tasks and just things that you would know if you were in a management position. So the role of the mentor was introduced uh, with a very clear remit. I was concerned it was introducing a layer of management, but we've been absolutely clear. We've stuck to our principles. And everybody who's in those roles understands exactly what their role is to support the teams with the upskilling part of their job and then to retreat when they're not required. They are absolutely, definitely not management roles. So these are skills around practice and organisation as opposed to self-management, because is it still the coaches who are supporting self-management? Yes, Um, and again, that's some of the learning more from year one, actually, than year two. But we put a lot of emphasis, quite understandably, because it was new, on training people or supporting people to work in a self-managed way. Mm-hmm. Um, that training was three days initially, it's now two, and it was always delivered by the coaches. Um, what happens now in practice is it's a coach and a mentor that run the training, and it's a combination of insights discovery profiles, uh, how you communicate well, how you work in a self-managed way, how you deal with conflict, how you give and receive feedback. Mm-hmm. But there's now also a, a practical element around regulation and you know, reporting and that mm-hmm. type of thing. So I think we've got the balance right, actually. Um, and it proves the power of what you just said. You, you can change your strategy and your approach as you learn new things, but we have absolutely not deviated from the principles. It's something that we've been grappling with, really, because we started off with a team coach and a practice coach, which sounds a bit like echoes of the mentor role and the coach role, and we're still figuring that out. We merged them both into the wellbeing leader for a while, um, and in our next teams in Lancashire, again, we think we're going to be separating them out again, so great to keep connecting on, on what we're learning here. So year three, what are you going to be focusing on next? I think the two major um, things, there's lots, but the two major things for for me, um, one is around the financial model. We predicted that there would be two challenging financial years as we implemented the strategy because I think you know that part of our genuinely valuing social care as a profession has been to pay our team members, still in my view not enough, but we're certainly um, paying a lot more than comparable organisations pay for social care workers and we want to continue to do that. So obviously we've added to our costs, we've also got non-recurring costs that you have when you go through a big change process. I think in total it was about 1.2 million. So we predicted at the start two challenging financial years but when you're actually in the middle of them, in the eye of the storm, um, quite understandably, uh, if you just look at the numbers, it, it can it can feel a little bit scary. So we have um, a financial services company doing the financial evaluation of local cornerstone. We don't know what that's going to say yet, but what we hope it will say, and it will be ready this time next year, is that if we move away from trading in hours of care, if we focus on client-facing time, and all the savings that we see within our organisation as a result of the new way of working, then if the state is prepared to pay more up front and commission services in a different way, 
then we can demonstrate the savings to the system and, more importantly, better outcomes for people. So my fingers are crossed on that. (laughs) And linked to that, of course, is, is commissioning. So we want to get our commissioning tests up and running. We've got two at the moment that have started um, and for those of you who read the report, um, you'll see uh, from chapter 14 onwards quite a section on commissioning, but it's focused around the need and the desire that we all have to deliver better outcomes for people and the need to use our collective and limited resources in a different way and the themes of partnership and collaboration being more productive than competition. But obviously to have the commissioning tests up and running, we need commissioners to engage. And it's fair to say they are engaged in all our health and care partnership areas, but the practical reality of running a formal commissioning test with all the regulation and the legal and the contractual, it's proving to be quite a challenge. (laughs) And it's a, a challenge we share because, as you know, we're at the end of phase one of wellbeing teams again after two years of us working. And the question we were holding in phase one is, can wellbeing teams thrive whilst commissioning stays traditional, working on time and task and by the hour, and our learning is it can't. So both of us looking for radical commissioning to support radical provision to make great changes in people's lives. Let's keep our fingers crossed that the next time we're talking, we're talking with joy about the commissioners that have joined us to do something different. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your reflections. Please tweet me. I'm at Helen at WB Teams. This podcast is a companion to Open Teams. On this podcast, we share the voices and stories of pioneering organizations in health, care, and public services. And on Open Teams, you can see the documents that they're using. Have a look at openteams.co.uk. And if you're interested in wellbeing teams, please come and find me on LinkedIn, where I share a weekly two minute film or my blog site, helensanderson.net. And finally, if you're interested in self-management and need some support along the way, I'd love to hear from you. I'm at helen at wellbeingteams.org. Thank you.